a little bit about me. I, um, uh, you know, Jordan and I, he, any, all the, probably the stories he's told is kind of directly related to me because we grew up in the same home and um, grew up in a, in a Christian home, fourth generation um, Christian, fourth generation uh, pastor. And so we had all of that stuff and um, grew up in uh, what we would call a Pentecostal charismatic tradition. And, um, and you know, so we're, we're those, we're definitely the ones where you'd be like, yep, they're the, they're the weird ones. They're the, those, oh, those guys, you know, we'll tell you a little more about that in a minute. But um, so, yeah, so grew up in, in that type of environment. And I remember when I was about 16 years old, we were um, at my grandparents' house and we were having a family reunion and my, my uncle was there and uh, you know, everybody. It was just kind of, and at the end of this family reunion um, at, at grandma's house, we, um, we all like gathered up, held hands, and uh, we're getting ready to leave. And we were just, just holding hands and, and we, were gonna, we were just gonna pray. And I remember um, in that moment, as we were kind of wrapping things up, um, it, was, it actually ended up being just the beginning because um, Rick uh, kind of dropped my hand and, put, and came over and put his hand on my chest. And he just said, more Lord, more Lord. I don't know what your grid work is for um, just the presence of the Lord and things like this, but like there was, it started a moment in me that I'll never forget where I, uh, for the first time that I could remember, felt the power and the presence of God in uh, my grandparents' living room. There, was, uh, um, there wasn't any music playing softly in the background. Nobody was booger crying at the altar. I mean, it was like, it was just there in her living room and uh, just encountering him. And, and in fact, to such a degree that I couldn't even stand up anymore. Um, and it just set me on a journey. It hasn't like been, you know, you're like, that started and then it just went like it was, how many know like the Christian life is often like a roller coaster, you know, and you've got the highs and, you, and the lows and you try not to focus too much on the highs, you try not to focus too much on the lows, but they happen. And, and, but, it's, but it sent me on a journey to, to go after um, the presence of the Lord, that um, I don't want it to just be an intellectual transaction. Um, that, uh, you know, someone once said that, uh, doctrine without experience is rigid and experience without doctrine is shallow. In other words, you have some people in the Christian faith that focus, that overemphasize the experience of God and all of the stuff and then you have some people that focus, um, overemphasize the, um, the rules and the doctrine and, and this and how many know it's two sides of the same coin? that God wants, uh, absolutely wants to encounter you, and he wants you to know him and learn him. And, um, and so that was the journey, and that's the journey I've been on. Um, so I, uh, I pastor a church in uh, Kearney, Nebraska, Becky and I do, and it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a good church. We, we're an open Bible church, and so we're, again, we're the, the Pentecostal charismatic ones. And, uh, and so it, it's kind of funny because... Um, you know, we're really actually not that weird, but, you know, people, you know, assume, you know, oh, you're those guys, and um, in fact, someone just left when I said, <laughs> you might want to go send your usher out, but um, so we, uh, so we're not that weird, like I said, uh, but 
we are out on the edge of town. We're on the, on the west side of Kearney. We're kind of up on a hill. You can see our, our cross from miles away up on the hill, and people come out there all the time. Well, one time, um, in fact, it's, it's fairly common that you're going to see like bull snakes, big bull snakes out there um, out on the property. Um, it's it's fair, like uh, ever so often you'll see a rattlesnake. Um, I don't do snakes. Um, another pastor on staff, that's his spiritual gift. That's not mine. And so... <laughs> Uh, whenever we see a snake, um, it's, you call Pastor Kelly out, and so we called him out, and he took care of the problem, and, uh, and, then, and then took pictures of it, and so it was, it's interesting because then, you know, we, we have a lot of great friendships with all the other pastors in town, and, uh, but we could finally say we're the church that handles snakes, you know, <laughs> we're the one, we're the one. So um, what, I want, what I want you to, to know, I want you to understand this morning, like um, when it comes to like your relationship with Jesus, when it comes to worship, uh, like sometimes it, it requires choice on your part. Like we want it to be this thing where um, it, like it's just going to happen, like, like the encounter is just going to happen or the, you know, it's all this, you know, if the stars align just right, then, then there's going to be this moment. And, and, I, and I want you to know that sometimes like, like you have to do something. In fact, James, uh, the, uh, James says, and I believe it's James chapter four, it says draw near to God and what? He'll draw near to you. Um, and, and there's sometimes he breaks the rules, right? Where you're not drawing near to him and he goes ahead and draws near to you. Why? Because he's a good father. But there's, but there's principles in place. There, there's things like he, like he put in place and he's like, I'd like you to do it this way. And so he says, take a step towards me. And I almost get this picture that you take a step towards him and it's like he's like takes a million steps towards you. Like, like you try to close the gap just a little bit and he's like, oh, I was looking for movement in your heart. I'm right there. And it's things like that that happen. Um, in, our, in our church, uh, we'll, uh, people will, will raise their hands in worship. Um, they'll, do, they'll do two hands. Some churches, um, are, you know, are one hand or half mass. It just depends on what tradition you come from. We're, we're both hands in the air. Um, every so often, you'll, in fact, I remember a few years back, they don't go to our church anymore, but there was, we'd be in worship, and all of a sudden, you'd be a whoof. Like, what, what's going on? You're just raising your hand. You're trying not to be distracted. Whoof. And there was this lady that would, a certain song would come on, um, and any time, and we, in fact, we had to take that song out of the rotation, by the way, because when the song would come on, she'd run around the sanctuary. She'd do like this, like this, these laps. I'm like, all right, I, the walls are going to come down. And, but this is what I've learned about, about worship, is you know that there's never been one time in worship where I've just been standing there, and uncontrollably, my hands start going up in the air. Because never been once, you know, I'm just, what's going on? I can't control this thing. You know, there's never been one time when I've been in worship and my foot just uncontrollably starts tapping or I start, you know, getting, like, I've never, like, like danced uncontrollably in the spirit. Never one time. There's never been one time where I um, uncontrollably fell to my knees before God. Like, all of these things. Were choice. It was a moment where I decided, you know what, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what's going on in my heart, in my head, I choose to worship. And some people call it faking it until you make it, but it's not. It's actually far from that. It's just called choice. In fact, King David said those things in the Psalms when he says, my soul will worship him, right? 
or you just choose it. And so my, my encouragement for you and for me this morning is whatever you came in with, right, whatever's been going on, like, first of all, showing up's half the battle. Like, like, give yourself a hand, like you're here. But you can decide that regardless of how you feel this morning, that you're gonna re-engage with your best friend, Jesus. Because he's been waiting for you. He's been waiting for you all night for you to get here. Um, I love... I love the experiential part of God. I love, uh, like I told you, when, when I was 16 and, and encountered God for the first time that I knew of, and, and there's been lots of those times since. It hasn't always been like that. But one of the things, like in our camp, and uh, in our flavor of church, if you will, is sometimes we overemphasize the experience. And the danger in that is that um, when hard times come, we feel like J- Jesus is far away instead of close. And uh, I don't know if it, it might just be me, but um, has any of you ever experienced things like depression, anxiety? Have you ever been laying there at night and your heart's racing and you can't go to sleep and you're just like, like you, you know all the verses? <laughs> like I'm quoting verses like out of Isaiah, like he will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And I'm like, the verse isn't working, God. Like, like I just need to go to sleep right now. Like, like the battle's real sometimes, isn't it? Um, times when, man, I've got a card in my wallet, literally, uh, well, my wallet's right there, but I have a card in my wallet that says I'm a pastor. And even though I'm a pastor, you know, there's times where I get into seasons of apathy, where I'm just like going through the motions. I'm like, I know there, there has to be more than this. <laughs> there's got to be more. Man, there's times when I'm just like, man, I'm barely a half a step ahead of everyone else, and I'm just like trying to figure this thing out. I'm feeling all these emotions. There's times any of you, like me, like struggle with doubt and unbelief. Like you know the stories in the Bible, you know the ones where there's miracles and all of these. Maybe even in your own life you've seen them. Like maybe, you, maybe he like did a miracle for you last week and then this week you're still struggling. Like I mean, I mean I, I'm, I'm remembering an encounter with God I had like a month ago and, and, and yet sometimes it feels like a distant memory. Doubt and unbelief hits us, fear hits us. It's kind of like our Christian life, isn't it? Where you have a incredible on fire moment with God and it's like high octane and then like the next week it's like where are you Jesus where are you and it's like your voice is like bouncing off the walls hello 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 one of the there's there's all kinds of like like tools I could give you for like re-engaging God and and all of this, and I uh, don't really want to give you a, a tool, I just want to give you a thought this morning. One of the things for me that's helped me conquer, like, apathy and, and borderline depression or anxiety of, like, really, like, re-engaging my best friend, Jesus, one of the things is what you guys did this morning with the Lord's table, with communion, is just remembering. Just remember. That's what Jesus, remember what he said there at the Last Supper? He said, remember, whenever you do this, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, he knew that we would forget. 
He knew that it would be so easy to forget, even though like this was going to be the moment. Like this is like this is one of those memories you don't forget. Like Jesus dying on the cross, like like all of this stuff. Like you shouldn't forget that. And yet he knew that that a week would add up, and it'd become a month, and then it'd become months, and then it would become years, and we would forget. We'd forget. I bet if we pulled the audience right now, you'd tell me stories of, of when God like met you, when, when, when there was a miracle or where there was a, a moment, there was a, a, a time that you felt. And I bet even as we're talking this, I'm saying, remember your best friend. Some of you are like, oh, I remember. I remember. And Jesus said, hey, would you do that intentionally? Would you put a practice in place that as often as you do this, that you would do this to remember? because we forget. And for me, one of the main things to like pull myself up, to like shock my system back into spirituality is to remember, to remember him. And you know, when you're reading this word, often we forget that there were real people, real authors, that as they were writing down things, being led by the Holy Spirit, this is them remembering. Like, and that's when, like, we're going to be in the Gospel of John today. And I was just thinking about this because John, when he wrote the Gospel of John, uh, he's anywhere from, oh, probably like 40, 45 years old to like 75 years old. I know that's like a, a big span, depending on, on who dates the, the book. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about John, and, and I'm thinking about his life. And, and John, he, he was one of the 12, but he was probably Jesus' closest out of all 12. He was like Jesus' best friend. Now, he said that about himself, so I don't know. Like, you know, he's like, I'm the one that Jesus loved, you know. Uh, some of these insecure Bible writers, right? And, but but you know, he, was, he was one of Jesus' like, best friends. He was probably the closest to Jesus. And... And you think about that, you think about all the things he experienced, all the different places that they went together, all the, the miracles that, that John would have seen and participated in. You remember like the feeding of the 5,000, the bread and the fish? Can you imagine what was happening there? Like, like they're breaking off a piece of bread and then it grows back before their eyes? Breaking off a piece of fish and it grows back? I mean, John's probably like, you gotta be kidding me. This, this is awesome. You know, like, and so he's probably thinking about that stuff, remembering that stuff, and, and Jesus dies, his best friend dies, and you're, you're maybe 20 years later, maybe you're 40, 45, 50 years later, depending on, on when this was written. Could you imagine, like, it's been a long time since he's been with his best friend. It's been a long time. And, and all of those encounters, all of those moments, like that was 20 years ago. That was 40 years ago. And, and, and yes, God's doing fresh things and all of this, but, but he walked and talked with Jesus. They sat around the campfire and told stories like this. And he's remembering his best friend. And as he's, as he's remembering his best friend, he's sitting down and he's writing the gospel of John that we know today. And all of these stories this is like, it's like his journal. And imagine us like digging up John's journal from 
hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and we open it up, and this was his story. And as John is writing this, here's the, here's the main thought today. When we don't have an accurate view of Jesus' love for us, we tend to misunderstand his motives and his intentions. And so John, he's writing a story in here, and some of you probably are familiar with this, but there was a man named Lazarus that died, and Jesus rose him from the dead. Did anybody remember that, or you've at least heard about that before? We're going to talk about, we're going to be in John chapter 11. But could you imagine it, that John's remembering this? That John was right there, and he's remembering the story. And so John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. And, it's, and that's an important part because right now, Lazarus was just sick. He wasn't dead. He was just sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And, and John tells us this because there was another Mary with a similar story with, a, with a, an alabaster box full of uh, what they call pure nard. And it's a different Mary. There's two different stories, similar, but it's two different Marys. And, and so he goes on in verse 3. He says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so we stop here because this is interesting to me that the one that Jesus loved is sick. Because there's, there's like, there were crowds that would follow Jesus, right? I mean, the, he would draw some attention. And, and most of the crowd would be like, like, do another trick, Jesus. You know, give us another one. And, and, and he would do all of these things, and crowds would follow him. And, and then there would be people that would stay close. Some of his close followers, they would stay, and then he would teach them and all of this. But then he had like, um, like an inner circle, Right? And, and he had this inner circle. He had his 12, but, he had, but it was a little bit farther out than that. There were, there were some of the women, and there were some of these others, and some other friends. He had this inner circle of friends that he loved and they loved. Like, they were close. Like, like they did life together. They, they went over to each other's houses, and they had meals, and they laughed, and they did all kinds of stuff together. They were close. That was Lazarus. That was Mary and Martha. They were in the inner circle. I think sometimes we, we view Jesus as this distant, like, traveling evangelist that comes through, and every once in a while we get, like, you know, get close enough to him, and, then, and, and he touches and impacts our life, and then the distance grows. But do you know that if you know Jesus today, you're in his inner circle? Like, if you'd say, Pastor Jonathan, man, there was a moment, and I, I, I committed my life, I, I made him Lord of my life, I committed my life, you know that you're in his inner circle. You're not like one of the crowd anymore. And, hey, and if you're one of the crowd and you haven't made that decision, you know he wants you in his inner circle. And so when, when the word gets to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Like this is, that's, that's us, isn't it? We're the one that Jesus loves. He has the same depth of love and motivation of love for you and for me. His friend was sick and dying, and this was personal for Jesus. 
you know when he looks at you, it's personal for him. It's personal. The, the story goes on in verse 4. It says, when, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Which is pretty awesome. But this was also, like, he's talking to his disciples who weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, by the way. And, and he says, the, the sickness will not end in death. And, and they, they don't always get everything that he's trying to say. But he says, no, it's... It's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And remember, again, he's reemphasizing this. That, that, remember John's writing this? There was that love. Jesus loved. In fact, this was the whole motivation. It's all for love. The whole motivation here was love. So he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And, and when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Which has always been really interesting for me. Jesus delayed going to them because he loved them. Like, we, we don't always have the full picture, do we? And so... Jesus hears that the one he loved is sick, like dying sick. And so he's like, I love him, so I'm going to wait and not go right away. Does it make sense to you? I mean, does it make sense to me? I mean, I've studied this, I've studied, you know, uh, studied in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew and all that. I'm like, yeah. Still doesn't make sense. But he, his delay was out of love. I mean, and that's how I read it, right? It's, so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. <laughs> Two more days. And here's the thing. Jesus has some, what I would call, prophetic information here that Lazarus, that this isn't going to end in death. And he shares that with his best friends. Hey, guys, guess what? This, this isn't the whole story. It's not going to end in death. But you know, like, they didn't have cell phones back then. He wasn't, like, texting Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were not close. They, they were distant. They didn't know what Jesus knew. They didn't have the same information. Jesus is confident. Maybe his disciples are starting to catch on. Mary and Martha knew Nothing. It's like you and me, right? Like we're, we're sitting here, we're experiencing the crisis and we're like, Jesus, Jesus, where are you? And Jesus is like, it's all gonna be okay. It's all gonna be, they, they didn't know what Jesus knew. They didn't know what Jesus knew. The family could have, they could have felt abandoned. They could have felt rejected in this moment. They could have felt betrayal because they didn't have the, the full picture. They didn't know what Jesus knew. And trusting Jesus means understanding that Jesus sees what we don't see and knows what we don't know. Like we, we, like, we like the kind of trust where we can see it, right? We're like, oh, this all makes sense. Any of you like the logic and reason type? You know, like, you know, let me just, let me just spell it all out. Put it on an Excel spreadsheet. Let me like make sure, is there a formula for that? 
But, but true tr- trust in God, trust in Jesus, is like, it's like not always knowing. Just knowing that he knows is enough. Knowing that he understands is enough. And the story goes on. The story goes on, John 11, verse 7, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I want you to keep that in mind because that's pretty significant. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? And imagine this from John's perspective. He's remembering this. You know, decades later, he's remembering this story. And he's sitting there, he's like, he's, maybe he's on a rock, maybe, he's, maybe, the, maybe it's a, an ocean, and there's sand, and he's watching the waves and all this, and he's remembering when his best friend said, hey, let's go back to Judea. It's like, that was crazy. Because that was where they tried to kill you. You remember Jesus? Like, like they, they, they pulled out rocks. Man, as bad as Pastor Jordan and I have preached, we've never had people pull out rocks. <laughs> they pulled out rocks. They tried to kill him. I mean, true story. And, and Jesus, like miraculously, and his disciples kind of slip through the crowd and they get away and all of this. And, but that was Judea. They probably made a mental note, don't go back to Judea. And then Jesus says, hey, let's go back to Judea. Can you imagine this? I mean, this was a dangerous trip. Sometimes we don't remember this when we're talking about the story of Lazarus, because that's like all, when we romanticize this, this passage, we're like, hey, this was like Lazarus. This was like raised from the dead and all of this. This was in Judea. Jesus was saying, this is important enough that like, we're going to put our lives on the line to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. You know that Jesus didn't need to go. He could have just said the word. Like he's, he, the Bible says that. Like Jesus could have just been like, you're alive. From miles and miles away. They didn't need to make the trip. But there was something significant about going back to Judea, going back to, to that place of danger, going back to that place of betrayal, that place of pain. What's Judea represent for you? Where Jesus wants to go back to Judea with you. There's, there's two things I think about, about going back to Judea. First of all, is that Jesus will go anywhere for us to rescue us. He doesn't avoid what we think is dangerous. He's the rescuer Nothing is too difficult for him. He's going to go to Judea. He's going to go back to the place of danger. He's like, you know what? Hey, that ain't nothing. <laughs> like it, just like his little pinky, and he could just defeat the devil. Like we always think, the devil's so big. You know, like, he's like, eh, he's nothing. He's nothing. He's going to go back to Judea for you anytime, any day. But you know the second thing I think about Judea? Is, is Judea is also a place where, you know, he was taking his disciples with him. They were scared. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 none, and they all went with him. They, uh, they didn't want to go, but finally Thomas is like, all right, we'll go with you. We'll die with you, Jesus. It's in your Bible. We'll die with you. And so his disciples decided that they were going to go with him, and this wasn't a solo mission. This was Jesus and his disciples going back to 
minister to Lazarus' family and to raise Lazarus from the dead. You know that anywhere we go with Jesus, it's safe? Did you know that? Anywhere you go with Jesus is safe? When Jesus goes with us back to Judea, it's safe. What's Judea represent for you? Pain? Discouragement? A memory you want to forget? People that hurt you? You know, if you go there with Jesus, it's safe. I'll tell you what, if you go there without Jesus, it's not safe. That's why we, that's why we want to forget that stuff. We want to just like, like put that in the closet, shut the door, lock it. People say things like, you know, I'll, be, I'll sit with them across the table or in my office or over a cup of coffee or something like that, and we'll be talking about, we have a grid work in our church, we call it freedom prayer, and we will uh, um, go after some of those things from the past, some of those places of, of stronghold from the enemy, some of those places where there's, you know, where we just need to get, God. a lot of times it's forgiveness issues, like, if it, you know, just forgiving somebody or forgiving themselves, all this type of stuff, finding healing, and, and we'll talk about them, people will say things, I bet you've said this, I've said this before, it's in the past, it's, just, it's in the past. Can I tell you this? If your past is affecting your present, it's not in the past. It's in the present. So Jesus wants to go there. And, but we're the ones that don't, right? Because it's painful, because we, we just don't want to remember that. I'll tell you what, man. Like you can be saved have your ticket to heaven, your get-out-of-hell-free card, your fire insurance, whatever you want to say. Like, like you could be going there, but living like hell till you get there. Right? Like, like, just, I mean, Jesus said this. He says, I came that you may have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly. But a lot of us, we're just weighed down, shackled, barely living, maybe have our ticket to heaven, and Jesus is like, I'd like to go back to Judea with you and deal with that so that we could just reactivate this friendship. Are you with me? Is that okay? Like for me, Judea is represented when my wife and I had six babies in heaven through miscarriage and the times where I paced our sanctuary back and forth praying that God would somehow do a miracle and the miracle didn't happen. I mean, Judea for me was, was my uncle for a year lying in a, in a, like a nursing home, like our hero. And he's like, had this heart attack that just took him out of the game and we're just like, do a miracle. And then, it didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to, and a year later he, he died. And, like, and so I've had to like go back there <laughs> and not just forget about it. Uh, Judea for me was, it has been betrayal. The people that I thought were the closest to me, like, like prayer partners or, or major supporters of ministry, like um, leave our church because, you know, and there's always two sides, but my side's more right than theirs. And, 
leave and say bad things about me and my family and our church. I mean, you know, they're like, oh, that sucks, guys, that sucks. What's Judea for you? And John 11 goes on, verse 17, it says, so Jesus, he, he leaves, he, he's, he goes on this journey, and on his arrival, and by the way, he's, he's not quite in the village yet, but he's, he's close. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And that's significant. It's significant for a little bit. One, um, Jewish superstition would say that, uh, you know, if, if someone was dead, they had to be dead for four days in order to be, like, considered really dead. So, like, one day, two day, three day, you were only mostly dead. And everybody knows. I mean, mostly dead is slightly alive. All right. Just thought I'd, I mean, you can't like just skip verse 17. You gotta, you gotta read it. All right. John 11, verse 21, the story goes on. Lord, Martha said to Jesus. Now, Martha had come out to meet Jesus on the journey. He wasn't quite in the village yet. And Martha comes and meets Jesus out there. And, and this is Martha's response. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, how many of us are like that? We, like we, it's not that we don't believe in the power of Jesus. It's not that we don't think that God can do amazing things. He just didn't do amazing things for us. He's done it for other people. The reputation of Jesus is, is amazing. Wait a minute. I thought, I thought we were the family. I thought we were in your inner circle. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I love the faith of Martha. Like, like he's dead. I wish he were here. It kind of offends me that you waited. But even now, Jesus, even now. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And then Martha answered, I know. I know. He'll rise again at the resurrection in the last day. Because Martha, she had a grid work that in their culture, in, the, in their, um, their Jewish sect, there was different traditions within Judaism. And in, and in, their, uh, in their belief system, there was going to be a, a resurrection in the last day. And, and your loved ones, would, would, you'd meet them again. Any of you kind of have that same grid work, right? That you're, you're going to meet your loved ones again someday. That it's, it's you know, it, it's gone for now, but not forever. And, and we can at least have some hope. The Bible says that we don't grieve as those without hope, right? She had some of that. And, and so Jesus is like, yeah, you know, he's going to rise again. And she's like, yeah, I know. I mean, I know. I've got that same hope. Like, I'll see him again at the resurrection. And then Jesus, this is like every once in a while, you're like, oh yeah, Jesus knows how to drop the mic. <laughs> because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In other words, he's like, yeah, there's, a, there's an event that's going to happen someday, 
and there's a man standing in front of you right now. This is the, this is the now and later aspect of our walk with God. Someday Jesus is back. Anyone, uh, anyone just like excited that someday Jesus is coming back? He's going to ride on a right horse. He's going to have fire in his eyes and a tattoo down his leg. I mean, isn't that like we're all like, yeah, come on, Jesus. Yeah, he's coming back someday. And, and we can all get excited about the fact that King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's coming back and he's kicking butt and he's taking names and we're on his team, thank God. Like we're excited about that, that someday his kingdom will actually come. His kingdom will come. The Bible says that, that his kingdom is going to come to earth. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. It's going to, I mean, it's going to be amazing. He's going to have his headquarters there. We're going to be on his team. His kingdom will come someday. And we pray that when we pray the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, don't we? When we say, some of you guys remember this, your kingdom come and your will be done where as it is yeah because it's his kingdom's coming you know it's interesting why would jesus tell us to pray something if it was like just automatic he's like this is like this is how i want you to pray i want you to come into agreement with something i want you to pray with christians believers around the world that my kingdom would come you know part of what i believe about that is that it's not just a coming kingdom. You know, with the coming kingdom, like, it's coming whether you like it or not. <laughs> it's coming whether you're ready or not. And someone said, hey, are you ready this morning? I said, ready or not. You know, like, I'm, I, you know, I, I got to get up and preach, so hopefully I've got something to share. You know, like, at the end, of the, like, his kingdom is coming. Whether you know it or not, like it or not, ready or not, his kingdom's coming. But Jesus was also saying this, hey, it's a, it's not just a later thing, it's a now thing, that we can pray for his kingdom. In fact, he would say things like this, if, if I cast out a demon from you, then the kingdom of heaven is advancing. The kingdom of heaven has touched you. Do you know that his kingdom is coming and his kingdom is here right now? I mean, this is what he was saying. When he was saying, uh, we were talking about the kingdom, you know there, there's no sickness in heaven? Any of you agree? Would you agree with that? There's no sickness in heaven? Would any of you agree that there's no lack or, or debt in heaven? That there, any of you agree that there's no like, broken marriages in heaven, broken relationships, right? Would you really, in other words, would you, whatever the list is, would you believe that it's perfect in heaven? And so Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to pray. Your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. In other words, sir, I want his kingdom to impact your physical body right now. And there's a disconnect because we pray that way and sometimes it doesn't happen quite instantly the way we're praying. And so there's this, this wrestle, there's this mystery that we, we live in. But man, can I tell you, like that's how Jesus wanted you to pray was that his kingdom would invade your home. That like if your marriage doesn't quite look like the kingdom of heaven, then how many know that you should continue praying for his kingdom to continue impacting your marriage? If your body does not look like, feel like the kingdom right now because there's sickness and disease and there's limitations? How many know Jesus is saying, continue to pray? How about, what about your business and your workplace? Any of your businesses and workplaces don't quite yet look like the kingdom of heaven? He's like, would you pray your kingdom come? Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's what Jesus was saying. He's like, yeah, it's coming someday, but I am the resurrection and the life. The revelation was that the resurrection was more than a predetermined day, that it's a person, and his name is Jesus. Hmm. And then she says, she calls him Messiah. In other words, Martha was saying, he's the one we've been waiting for. Right? In their Jewish tradition, it was Messiah. All throughout the Old Testament, all the prophets, uh, all, the, all the, everything, the law, everything was like, hey, there, someday there's going to be this man. We call him Messiah, the anointed one. Like he's coming and he's going to save the day. And they all had this grid work. And so when she looked at Jesus, she says, you're him. You're the one that we've all been waiting for. The king was also their friend. The story goes on, verse 32. It says, when, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, and so Martha had her moment. Martha went back and got Mary. Mary went out to the same place. Now Mary's having her moment with Jesus. And Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here. Did we hear this story before? My brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And there's, there's kind of a paradox of thought. It's interesting because Jesus knew what was going to happen. Do you guys believe Jesus knew what was about ready to happen? Man, he knew. He could probably see it. Lazarus is going to raise. This is going to be a cool thing. Everyone's going to write stories about this. This is awesome. Jesus knew this was going to happen. And at the same time, he was deeply moved with Mary and some of the people standing by. He was deeply moved. And, and, and this is, in, and, and a couple verses later, it actually says that he, he wept. And so there's two things about this. One, even though he knows, like he, he could see the other side. How many believe that whatever you're going through, he sees the other side? Like he knows the end of the story. He knows, like he knows there's victory. He knows there's breakthrough. He knows all this stuff. And at the same time, he's deeply moved by what you're going through. The Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. He's deeply moved, even weeps with us. But there was something else that was going on in that original language where it says he was deeply moved and where he wept. In the original language, it actually means that he was angry. <laughs> Interesting. Like Jesus was angry, but he wasn't angry at Mary. He wasn't angry at Martha. He wasn't angry at the crowd. He was angry. Jesus was angry at the spirit of death that had, that had gripped Lazarus. He was sitting here. He was deeply moved. He, was, he wept. Well, he's like, not my friend. Man, not, not my family. And Jesus, I could see him getting riled up. We think that he's like, you know, Jesus is kind of you know, like Swedish, blonde hair in a bathrobe, you know, walking down a beach. Like, like Jesus is like, like he, he gets fired. He gets, he's like, he's angry. He's like, like he's ready to, to do business with the demonic spirit of death. Was that all right, that crossing in line? No? All right, okay. 
But it's interesting because we talked about this confusing paradox, this tension that they lived, lived in. The, the, the people standing by, they're like, well, well wait a minute. Could, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Have any of you ever had the same thought? Like, what? Why didn't you just not let him die, Jesus? Right, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that. I, I think about like like the story in the Old Testament, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and 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 they're in the fiery furnace, and there's a cool story. But you're like, you, you know, you could have kept them from going in the fiery furnace. <laughs> like what? Like why? Why let them go all the way? I mean, and and we always know like because because. God sees the, like the bigger picture, the, the story. He sees the bigger impact. And, and this is that place of trust. But all these people gathered around, they're like, a bunch of doubters are like, Could, couldn't he have just opened the eye, the man that opened the eyes of the blind? Like, maybe he could have just kept him from dying in the first place. I, I, I've had those same types of thoughts in my life about the things that, that I've been praying for, for breakthrough, and the places of, of loss, the places of disappointment. And, um, and I don't know that I have a great answer for all of us when it comes to some of the confusing places of Scripture like that. What I do know is this. I don't want to lower the standard of the Bible to my level of understanding. I'd rather live in the mystery of the unknown instead of Instead of trying to like, like figure it out and make a theology about this and about that, like, like I don't want to just, like I want to believe the his kingdom come stuff. Like I want to I wanna look at the miracles of the Bible and, and all of the things that God says is afforded to us as, as believers. And I want to look at that and then and live in the mystery even when it doesn't always happen when I want it to happen right now. The story goes on in verse 38 and it says that Jesus once more was deeply moved. It's the same concept. And he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Any of you remember a parallel story like that? Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. That thing comes up again, which is interesting to me because they wanted a miracle. They just didn't believe a miracle was going to happen because, man, this is impossible. He's been dead four days. Jesus, like he's stinking by now. This is gross. You're going to take the stone away. And so Jesus has to remind them. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Because he's a God that still speaks, right? He's a God that hears us when we pray. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Man, and wouldn't you love to like see like a Hollywood movie like this? Like this is I'm visual when I see this stuff. I'm like, man, this this would have this would make this would make millions of dollars. We're talking about block off, box office, box office movie hits. Like this would do it. Lazarus come out, and the dead man came out, and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, 
and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is, this is really interesting because, because Jesus could do all kinds of miracles in any way that he wanted to do them. And he, that he could have done the miracle where he says, Lazarus, come out, and the grave clothes just, whoosh, just disappear. And by the way, then he would also miraculously put other clothes on him. That'd be the complete miracle right there. Sometimes it's partial miracles. But I think about this. There's a reason why Jesus did it this way. Because Lazarus comes out fully alive, but still wrapped in grave clothes. I'll tell you what, and some of us, maybe even today, we walked in that same way. Where we've, we're alive, we've got our ticket to heaven, like I said, maybe, but, but man, we are still wrapped in grave clothes. And then the community, the friends, helped take the grave clothes off. Man, don't we need each other? I'll tell you what, like, like Jesus has so much in store for you. Like he wants to have that relationship, that intimacy. And like I said at the beginning, like he's sitting here, as much as we're remembering our best friend, Jesus is remembering you. And he would just love to have that depth of relationship where there's nothing hindering, where all the grave clothes come off. So this story, it's interesting. John, as he's remembering this, he's remembering that this was the story. Like, this was, this was the one. Like, we love this story for all kinds of reasons, but this story was the one that changed everything. This shifted everything for Jesus and his disciples. This was the one. And we find it out right here. In verse 45, it says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And they said this, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here, here's this man performing many signs. And the, those verses go on and, and, and you read them and, and they're saying, listen, like if we let this go on, this man performing all of these signs and wonders, like people are actually going to believe in him. Like, like they're going to follow him. This is the, San, the Sanhedrin was like a group of about like 70 men, Jewish men. They'd sit around and they'd make governmental decisions in, their, in, in Judaism. The, Rome, the Roman um, officials kind of give them a little bit of latitude to be able to govern their own people. And so the Sanhedrin would gather and they, they're like, this guy, like if we let him keep doing what he's doing, people are going to follow him. And, and if they follow him, we're going to lose some of our privileges under Roman control. Like, like we're going to lose our nation, and we're going to lose our privileges. So there's only one thing we could do. we got to kill him. And this started the journey. Raising Lazarus from the dead, it started the journey of Jesus to the cross. In fact, in verse 53, it says, So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. 
This was the turning point in Jesus' journey to the cross because they misunderstood the purpose of the Messiah, the one they'd been waiting for. He was staring them right in the face. They misunderstood the motives and intentions of Jesus. And they didn't see love. They saw a threat to their way of life. So here's some of the questions. One is, what are you doing with his love for you? What are you doing with it? With his love? He loves you so much. What are you doing with it? And how's your love for him? How's your love for him these days? I was, uh, it was January 2021. I was at a conference in Palestine, Texas. And uh, man, I mean, I mean, 2020 was brutal. 2021 was also brutal. But in fact, it's still, life is still brutal. But, and I remember coming out of, for us, coming out of that pandemic time, the height, the 2020, and man, everything went wrong in 2020. I mean, it was like, 2020. Anybody just like wanted to skip that year? I remember right at the beginning of, of 2021, uh, I was at this conference, and I was sitting there, and this was just kind of one of those refreshing conferences. Just kind of go, there's worship, um, there's just extended time to spend with the Lord, and, and, uh, and I went by myself with a, with a friend, but I, you know, my family was back, and I just, kinda, I just went just to, I needed something. I, like, I, I needed the jumper cables back on my faith. <laughs> like, I needed something like I didn't even know all that I needed but like I, I felt like I felt like I just walked through like trauma <laughs> and I just like and what I what I knew I don't know if I even articulated it this way but I just um, man even though I was a pastor and all this like there was some, there was distance between me and Jesus like I know how to preach I know how to like write up a sermon and tell jokes and engage an audience and do all this stuff but man just felt like that fire wasn't there. And I remember sitting in the back of the sanctuary. I had my journal, I had my Bible, and somebody was talking about something up front. I don't know what. And there was music playing softly in the background. And I just started weeping. Just weeping. And here's the words that were going through my head. I just miss you, Jesus. I just miss you. I just missed my friend. And I felt like in a moment, he was right there. He was just right there. I think about the Apostle John. As he was writing this story, and he's sitting there, and he's just like, I just missed my friend. I just missed my friend. Anyone miss their friend this morning? I'll tell you what, in just a few minutes, we're going to watch a video. It's about five minutes long. And right at the end of that, I'm going to come back up, and I'm just going to invite some of you. You're just like, you know, Jonathan, like, that's me too. I just want to take the next step. I want to re-engage. I want to fan into flame, whatever that is. And I just believe by faith. And God can meet you right where you're at. He can, he could, you know, you could sit in the back and all that. He, could, he can do anything he wants. But sometimes what he likes is for you to just say, you know what, I'm going to make an action by standing up and coming forward. And I'm going to activate something by my faith. And I'd love to partner with you and just lay hands on you and let this thing grow. Maybe this could be the moment. Maybe this is like that, that mile marker moment that you look back on. That was the day everything changed.